0: Oh, well, good evening. If you have a Bible, I would invite you to turn it to Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10. Title of the Good Friday message is once and for all from Hebrews chapter 10. We'll have some of the scripture on the screen uh, as well. The Bible is a bloody book. And Good Friday is a. Bloody day. In the Old Testament, the uh, sinfulness of humanity uh, was so um, deep and pervasive that uh, God created a sacrificial system by which the sins of the people could be atoned for and could be paid for. And as you begin to read to the Old Testament, you see that the people of Israel were people just like us who were sinful and wicked and and did not follow God as God commanded. But God said, I don't want to destroy them. They're my people. So there must be a way for God to actually find a way to dwell with his people. And this created the sacrificial system where there are different offerings to God uh, to appease his wrath so that uh, man and God could actually live together. And the, the people of God built uh, the tabernacle uh, in the Old Testament. And in the middle of the tabernacle was a place called the, the Holy of Holies, the most holy place. And so not only were there sacrifices that were given day by day of animals that were sacrificed to God for the sins of people, but once a year, and you can read this in the book of Leviticus chapter 16, once a year there was a day called the Day of Atonement. And on, on that day, as the writer of Hebrews describes here, there was the, the high priest. The first person who did this was Moses' brother Aaron. God comes to uh, Moses and says in Leviticus 16, Tell your brother Aaron that he can no longer just enter into uh, the tabernacle as he pleases. He cannot enter it anytime he chooses. Access to God begins to be massively restricted because of the sinfulness that encounters God's holy. The writer of Hebrews comments and paints a picture this way of the day of atonement, especially Hebrews ten verse one. The law is only a shadow of the good things that are coming, not the realities themselves. For this reason, it can never, by the same sacrifices repeated endlessly year after year, make perfect those who draw near to worship. Otherwise, they they would not have stopped being offered. For the worshipers would have been cleansed once for all and would no longer have felt guilty for their sins. But those sacrifices are an annual reminder of the sins. So the Day of Atonement is not a day truly to be cleansed from your sin. Ultimately, it's a day, the writer of Hebrews says, where you would be reminded of your guilt. And here's what would happen in the Day of Atonement. The the high priest is the only one who could even enter in the Holy of Holies. And there was a a curtain, a veil, which did not allow anyone access to it. God said, if you enter this, pass through this veil on your own merit, you will be struck dead. And so the veil was created. And once a year on the Day of Atonement, the the, the high priest would enter after he had sacrificed a bull and, and sprinkled blood on himself so that his sins would be Wash clean. Then he would he would wash his body, and, and he would have uh, walk into the holy of holies, go through uh, the curtain. He would actually have incense uh, in front of him, a cloud that was burning in front of him, so that uh, the presence would not even be uh, just close that close. There would still be something separating him in the holy of holies. And there would be in this process two goats, two lambs. One which would be sacrificed and killed. Its throat would be slit and blood would be spilled. Very brutal. And this would signify that all the sins of the people of Israel for the previous year, the wrath would be paid on this animal for their sins. The people would not have to pay it. And the blood that was spilled here with this animal would cover the sins for the year that had just passed. But there was another goat that was there, and this was called the scapegoat. And the high priest would put his hands on the scapegoat and confess all of the sins of the people of Israel and then would release that goat into the wild, reminding God's people that their sins had been removed as far as the east is from the west. And so we have propitiation. God's wrath is poured out through a blood sacrifice. And then we have expiation. The sins that you and I have are removed And this would happen, though, every single year. The writer of Hebrews says um, it is offered endlessly, year after year, but this is insufficient to make us holy or to bring us into God's presence. And the writer says, just declaratively in verse 4, it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins because a goat or a bull cannot die ultimately in your place. For your sin, it covered it for a while. But you can imagine that the Old Testament is filled with this, and this was still practiced up until the time of Jesus. No longer in the tabernacle, but now in the temple. And can you imagine, day after day, animals would be sacrificed in the temple, and then once a year in Day of Atonement, there would be sacrifice again. The people um, w- would just be uh, silent in reverence for God, though providing a way even then for them to remain the people of God, but the seriousness of our sin, the way it affronts God is clear as you read through the Old Testament. There is no way to miss it. The holiness of God, the sinfulness of man, there is a massive chasm between them. And thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of animals were killed because of it. The Bible is a bloody book. Thankfully, the writer in Hebrews does not stop with verse 4. Verse 5 begins with the word therefore, which is a gospel-drenched, grace-filled word, if there ever was one in the scriptures. Therefore, when Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifice an offering you did not desire, but a body you prepared for me with burnt offerings and sin offerings you were not pleased. Then I said, Here I am. It is written about me in the scroll. I have come to do your will, my God. Verse 8, be on the screen. First, he said, this is Jesus quoting uh, Psalm 40. Sacrifices and offerings, burnt offerings and sin offerings you did not desire, nor were you pleased with them, though they were offered in accordance with the law. Then he said, then Jesus said, here I am, I have come to do your will. Jesus lives in full and complete submission to the will of God. He models what it looks like to trust God with literally your life. He comes into the world. Therefore, right the writer of Hebrews says, these offerings of, of animal sacrifice are not enough. Therefore, God sent forth Jesus. And Jesus says, I've come into the world, which is gospel great news, to do the will of God. What is the will of God? Isaiah 53, verse 10, prophesies forward about Jesus' death. Isaiah writes, it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. This was the Lord's will. This is how things would end for Jesus. He would be crushed. He would suffer. He would be stripped. He would be wounded. He would be mocked. He would be killed. And yet Jesus says, fully knowing all of this, here I am, I've come to do your will, God. That is why I am here. This is what happens, the writer of Hebrews records, Jesus, he sets aside the first to establish the second. So he sets aside the old covenant. He sets aside the old way of access to God by which there was no access to God. He says, no longer is that the way it will be with God. Now he establishes something new. What is that? Verse 10. And by that will, the will of God, we, you and I, we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all amen. Not multiple times, not Jesus continually continually has to offer himself, but one sacrifice, one death, one cross, sufficient to cover the sins of all people for whom God has chosen in his grace. Sufficient. This is the will of God. Well, the writer of Hebrews continues to drill down here. He writes in verse 11, day after day, every priest stands and performs his religious duties. Again and again, he offers the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when this priest, this is Jesus, had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. And since that time, he waits for his enemies to be made his footstool. For by one sacrifice, he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. You know this, that the writer of Hebrews just says that uh, in the Old Testament, even, even in the time of Jesus, the priest would stand and offer the sacrifice on behalf of the people, on behalf of himself or, or his family. He would stand, not at rest, not sitting, um, but standing and continually having to offer this sacrifice. But the writer of Hebrews notes that when Jesus Christ offers his sacrifice, he's no longer standing. He is sitting down at rest complete. No more sacrifice is needed. And now, Jesus Christ, right now, sits at the right hand of God, interceding for us. The writer of Hebrews says this in chapter 7 of Jesus the High Priest Such a high priest truly meets our need. One who is holy and blameless, pure, set apart from sinners. Exalted above the heavens, unlike the other high priests, he does not need to offer sacrifices day after day, first for his own sins and then for the sins of the people. He sacrificed for their sins once for all when he offered himself, when he offered his life, right? He is the one who lays it down for us. I have come to do your will, God. That is why I am here. Verse 15 of chapter 10 the Holy Spirit also testifies to us about this. First he says, quoting Jeremiah 31, this is the covenant I will make with them. After that time, says the Lord, I will put my laws in their hearts and I will write them on their minds. And he adds, their sins and lawless acts I will remember no more. Memory erased. And where these have been forgiven, sacrifice for sin is no longer necessary. Now, who testifies about this? Man, right? No. The writer of Hebrews says it's the Holy Spirit. God himself testifies to this. God himself promises this. God is the one who guarantees salvation. God is the one who initiates it. He guarantees it. He provides it. All of it relies on him and him alone, and he is faithful to do it. And the Holy Spirit says, this has happened. This will happen. The sins and lawless deeds of you and I will no longer be remembered by God. He will forget them. But not just because he just puts them away out of his mind, but through the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. This is the only way for you and I to have access to God. There is no other way that God has provided. There is no other way. And this is what makes the cross so beautiful. It's not um, arrogant to, to say, well, why is there only one way? No, the better question is why is there even a way? Why do we even have one way to get access to God? See, even in the Old Testament, God provided a way. But He said, I've got a better way now. The dying words of the Buddha were strive without ceasing, the dying words of Jesus were it is finished. I think I know where I will place my life. In John's gospel, he uses one word. It's the Greek, um, the Greek word, tetelestai. It's one word. So when you see three words in English, it's actually only one word in Greek, and we have it on the screen. So if you were to have a Greek New Testament, which I know many of you probably do not, but uh, I do, and uh, you can read this word. And if there's a more grace-filled word in all the scriptures, I don't, think, I don't think there is one. And so John's writing, like when you were reading John's gospel in A.D. 90, A.D. 100, you're reading John chapter 19, though there weren't chapters then, and you come across this word, and this word was used in like transactions and businesses. It was a common word. It wasn't like a spiritual word. It's a common word that people would use on receipts that had been paid in full. It means it's paid now, and they just stamp it. It's pretty basic, like I went to the uh, lunch today, got some lunch, and then they gave me a receipt. Yeah, you paid through your card. Right? Just in, in the first century, they would have just stamped this word on there. It is finished. It's a Greek, it's in the perfect tense, which literally means that it has been and will forever remain finished. Tetelestai. One word. Changes everything. It changes everything. What, what is finished? Sin is finished. The accusations of the enemy against you are finished. You being in the grave is finished. You being on your way to eternity without God, no, that is no longer going to happen. Your righteousness, it's finished. Your unrighteousness, it's finished. All of it is finished, bound up now in the grip of God's grace, no longer under the grip of sin and the enemy and death, but now transferred out of darkness into the kingdom of his Son, Jesus Christ, now all that stands against you, all the sin that you and I have accumulated through our lives, who we are, what we do, all of that, it makes us enemies of God. Every single one of us, wrath being poured up for all of us, Jesus Christ says, it is finished. It is done. There is nothing else you have to do to earn God's love, to earn God's favor, to earn God's grace. He paid it in full and he stamped it on the cross. It is finished. It is finished. It is done. One sacrifice. Charles Spurgeon says of the word, you would need all the other words that ever were spoken or ever can be spoken to explain this one word. When Jesus cries on the cross, he doesn't say, I am finished. He says, it is finished. And so his death is not a defeat, it's a victory, because he's not finished at all. Why? The writer of Hebrews just continues this, just down this road. He says, verse 19, another word here, therefore, just it is finished. Therefore, brothers and sisters, which you and I now are, since we have confidence, confidence, not doubt, we have confidence to enter the most holy place. That we've been forbidden to enter. Now we can enter it by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way open for us through the curtain. That is his body. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience, and having our bodies washed with pure water. Right? This is so you and I can draw near to God, right? God comes to Moses and said, you can no longer come into my presence whenever you want. It's barred. The way is barred. And now the writer of Hebrews says, that is no longer the case. You and I have confidence. You and I have assurance before God. We can know that God accepts us. We can know that God adopts us. We can know that God rescues and ransoms us because Jesus Christ died in our place. And so we can now actually draw near to the presence of God. The Gospel of Luke records, and we said it earlier At the moment that Jesus cries out from the cross, the veil in the temple, which had forever separated the people from God, is what? (laughs) Is torn in two. Now, who did that? Who tore it in two? Access granted. I love what he says. Let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with full assurance that faith brings. Is that how you approach God? When you see the cross, Do you still say, I can approach God, not because of my worthiness, but because of the worthiness of him who sacrificed for all time for you and for I, so that we could be reconciled to God, so that the earth and the cosmos could be reconciled to God, so that all things could now be reconciled to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. It's the love of God that does all of this. It's the will of God. Thomas Aquinas says this great quote, listen, He says, it was not the cross of Christ which secured the love of God but the love of God which secured the cross of Christ. Repeat that. It was not the cross of Christ which secured the love of God but the love of God which secured the cross of Christ. The cross does not make God love us. Right, the cross shows us that God does love us. Even while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Not on your best day, on your worst day. He said, R.D., then. God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. God did it. It's the will of God. And Jesus Christ comes into the world and he says, I am here to do your will. And when Jesus Christ is in the garden of Gethsemane and he is shaking he is stammering. He is on the ground. He is sweating and bleeding and, and for all purposes probably crying. And he said, Father, if there's any way for me not to drink this cup, if there's any way for this cup to pass from my lips. Now, what, what is the cup? It's not he's afraid of the cross. It's not that he's afraid people are going to abandon him. It will be painful. They will abandon him. The cup is the cup of God's wrath, which will be poured out on Jesus Christ for three hours on a Friday between 9 a.m. and 12 p.m. He will bear all of it on himself. And when he understands that, he just has a moment where he says, if there any other way than to bear all of the wickedness, all of the sin. And he stammers. And yet... He says, not my will, but your will be done. And he gets up out from the garden after that, and he heads to the cross. And he doesn't stammer again. Here I am. I've come to do your will, God. And by that will, we have been made holy through the sacrifice of of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. It is finished. Let's pray. Our Father, when I survey the wondrous cross on which the Prince of Glory died, my richest gain I count but loss, and pour contempt on all my pride. Forbid it, Lord, that I should boast, save in the death of Christ my God. All the vain things that charm me most, I sacrifice them to his blood. See from his head, his hands, his feet, sorrow and love flow mingled down. Did e'er such love and sorrow meet, or thorns compose so rich a crown? Father, the crown was never richer that when Jesus Christ became king on a wooden cross. Father, we pray that we would be people who marvel at the cross, feel the weight of it upon us, and thankful that even now your son sits at your right hand, alive and well. We ask this in the mighty saving name of Jesus the Christ and all God's people said.